Well, as the new year has already been mentioned, here we are launching into 2018, and uh, some of you already started a working week. But it's often good to ponder, isn't it, uh, what this year will have in store for us? Or perhaps it should be that our ponderings will ask, what has the Lord in store for us this year? That's a good way to approach the subject, isn't it? You know, there is so much that is unknown to us, as we all know, and completely out of our control. But dare I say, that is not the case in every respect. Because although the Lord is in control and we believe in the sovereignty of God, the absolute sovereignty of God, there is also so much we can know and pursue in life that is totally in sync with the Lord's will for our lives. So in effect, we can be in control with him in so many areas. And our text this morning highlights one of those important areas, as you'll see on the screen, which we'll get to later. It highlights one of those areas. And it's, not, it's an area that not only church leaders are to pursue, whom Timothy was, he was a pastor at Ephesus Church, but it's one that every church member of a local church needs also to pursue. And it's vitally pertinent for each one of us, not only for church leaders or for the historical case of Timothy himself. This morning we will see the need to control how we relate to different members of the church according to who they are and where they are in the spectrum of life itself. I had a letter sent to me recently from a family who visited our church a number of times in the hope of finding a spiritual home. This is a good message for those who are visitors here this morning, by the way. And, uh, but they did not stay. They moved on and they chose another church, which is fine for them. I'm glad about that, but sad for us. But what intrigued me was the reason they stated in their letter they chose another church over NCC. It was stated right at the end, we felt better connected in the church that they are now than what they felt when they were here. Now, I'm not sure what better connected means. You may have a better idea, maybe some... Uh, modern jargon that I'm not really in touch with but I can only assume that had something to do with how we failed to connect or get gel with them either one of two ways theologically or relationally whatever the issue it points to a matter contained in our text today You see, folks, we are not to assume equality is the recipe for how we connect with people, and I'll use that word, as, and why is that? Because we need to treat people differently in the church. Now, in our modern progressive age, the idea of treating people differently goes against the grain somewhat, doesn't it? Because the cry in our culture and our world today is equality, no matter what, be it our gender, be it... 
age, be it family, be it sexuality, be it marital status, the cry is that we're all equal and therefore should we all should be treated the same. That's the catchword, that's the cry, that's the thrust of our modern day society. But here in this chapter, Paul negates that idea somewhat. Timothy had a number of problems, issues uh, that he had to deal with in Ephesus. As we have looked at many of these up until up until our chapter this morning, he had to deal with false teachers and their inroads that they were making. He had to deal with others that walked away from the faith. They made a shipwreck of their lives and their testimony. He had to deal with some of the ladies in the church who were cheating the lo- treating the local church like a like a fashion catwalk. He had to deal with confusion when it came to roles of men and women in the church. He also had to make it clear that there were qualifications for the elders and the deacons. And he also had to understand that he himself, as a servant in the church, like we all are, he had to discipline himself under godliness. And we've looked at all those areas. And so Timothy, as a young pastor was really up against it all here. And so in chapter 4, Paul instructs Timothy on his need to earn credibility, to earn respect from the assembly of the Lord's people by his conduct and his own personal disciplines. He says that in verse 12. He said, Timothy, let no man look down on your youth. In other words by your conduct, by your behaviour, by your personal disciplines, you prove that you are the man of God. But now he instructs them on how to treat different folk in the church differently. In verses 1 and 2, he makes very clear that there are, are, are different people at different stages of the life in the church who will have, obviously, different needs. And this fact demands Timothy, and by extension every one of us, to see the need for treating folk differently in the assembly rather than taking a blanket approach and to treat everyone the same. We can't do that. Timothy wasn't allowed to do that. He was instructed by the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Spirit of God. And then in verses 3 to 8, Paul gets up close and really specific with an issue that they had at the church of Ephesus and it relates to how the church is to treat and to care for those in real need. And in this particular case, it was the widows that were in the church. And so this is how I've divided up our text for this morning and I've just gone for two points. I was originally, when I'm in my preparation, going to go for three, but I'm like, no, 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 that's going to be too long. I'll cut it down to two and we'll deal with the next one when we get to it. So two points in this passage this morning. And so if you've got your Bibles open, we're going to read from 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verses 1 to 8. Do not sharply rebuke an older man but rather appeal to him as a father. To the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. Honour widows who are widows indeed, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. 
Now she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers day and night. But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. Prescribe these things as well so that they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own and especially those for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And may God add a blessing to his word this morning. Now, in reading this, it's certainly clear that we live in a different world than this historic occasion. After all, we live in an affluent culture. We have insurance schemes, we have pensions, we have superannuation, we have nursing homes. I'm just about there. And so in comparison, we might rightly say that we are way better off than these folks who had no safety nets at all for their needy, like we have today. But in spite of the differences that we see, what Paul is doing is here is he's giving us instruction, giving Timothy instruction, and I say by again, by extension to all of us, for the church of all time and how it needs to go about caring for those who make up the local church itself because some things never change. There's always going to be different people in the church, right? That's why it's real sad when the church gets to a state where there's only people my age and stage in life and that's all or it can be really unbalanced if the church is kind of 30 and under and that's all there's always different people in a good healthy church and so what we need to see here that vastly different times and culture and circumstances there are grand, grand principles for us to learn no matter what even though we live in a different day. We still need to treat one another according to God's standard. That's the standard, right? Culture doesn't dictate how we treat and respect and deal with one another in the church. The Word of God does. In so doing, it will allow, or will not allow, in all honesty, in all honesty, anyone to say that they felt disconnected by the way we personally treated anyone. So let me draw your attention to some of these principles for edification. First one is, there must be mutual accountability in the church, but different approaches in how we relate to one another. We see this in verses 1 and 2. You know, there are many metaphors given for the church, and one that resonates well, especially with us here at New Community, is the family, because we have kind of grown up in this last year or so, and we have this unique kind of, well, it may not be unique, we feel it's unique, um, I think Steve Grant sort of added it to it, and we're all caught up with it, is the family, but we have added to that, Steve added to that, and now we refer to ourselves and to one another as the forever family. And so the, the idea of the church being a family resonates well with us. And, and Paul himself uses this family concept in introducing this first important principle when speaking to different family members. He tells us that everyone is not the same in the local church, therefore this difference should be reflected in how we treat, approach, and we serve one another 
in the family. That's what he's telling us here. Now, without much thought, this may sound, as I suggested earlier, discriminatory. It kind of cuts across our ideas of how things should be in our culture, right? That we treat people differently. It even grows on us. We love the idea of equality and uniformity. It's even politically correct to think and be, and I'll use that word, egalitarian. That is, to treat everyone the same. It's politically correct to think like that. But here Paul is saying, Timothy, you have to deal with issues and sin in the assembly, but do not treat everyone the same in the congregation. That's what he's saying here. You might say, wow, that would not stand up. It certainly wouldn't in today's culture, right? Even standing up and offering a woman a seat in the bus can sometimes be looked, what are you doing? Am I different than you? But folks, this is how God wants his church family to be. He wants us to be all accountable. Now he's not saying here, go soft. He's not saying, do not confront sin, never get involved in people's lives, and for whatever it's worth, whatever it takes, do anything or don't do anything. Make sure you keep your nose clean. He's not saying that. As a matter of fact, he's saying the opposite. He's saying, get involved in your brothers and sisters' lives in the assembly. Yes, confront sin in their lives of family members when it's necessary. And even if it hurts you personally, Timothy, even if it hurts you personally, the local church family is to be a place of mutual accountability. That's what our church family is to be, folks. We're to hold one another. It's not just my job to hold everyone accountable, by the way. We're to hold each one another accountable. Do we do that? Or don't we care? That's your business, not mine. Let me say, it's your business. It's your brother or your sister. And they belong to the Lord, and you belong to the Lord, right? So we're to be helping one another and living the Christian life. You see, the folks, the assembly is not about us. Church is not about us. It's the Lord's church, as we looked right at the beginning. It's a pillar and ground of truth. And the Lord expects us to be holding one another accountable and to confront sin and to encourage one another and to counsel one another when it's needed. Not just to give them a flick and say, oh, none of my business. You wouldn't do that to your own blood brother or sister if you saw them doing something totally horrible or whatever. You'd confront them, wouldn't you? I hope you would. Because it shows love. That's what it shows. And not saying anything just shows plain selfishness. So we're to be helping one another in the sanctification process of their lives and in their Christian life. And, but the question is, How do we do that? This is a matter of vital importance that's stated in the text here. How we go about that 
is what it's all about. Great care needs to be taken in relating or connecting, can I use that word, to one another for accountability's sake. Great care. And Timothy is told, right at verse 1, you are not to speak to older men when they need counsel as if they were some upstart that needs cutting down a peg or two. Timothy, never, ever do that. And each one of us never, ever do that to an older man. You are to relate to older men in the assembly as you would or should your own father. That is, with respect and dignity an earthly father deserves from his children. And by the way, children, you do owe your father dignity and respect. No matter if they've been bad to you, because they're not perfect, if they've been horrible to you, no matter, at least... They were responsible for you for you being conceived and being brought into this world, right? If that's, that, that's the very least. And so you're to show them dignity and respect. The scripture makes it quite clear that all the men are to be treated with respect. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 32 commands, You shall rise up before the grey-headed, old man here, and honour the aged. That's what it says. Now to my fellow grey-heads here. And there are a few here and there are an increasing number as I start to look around. By the the way, grey head indicates you're getting older. So that's a fact. Don't be ashamed of it. And I know you know this. Proverbs 16 and 31 tells us, a grey head is a crown of glory. Oh, I take great joy in that verse. (laughs) Okay? It's a crown of glory. So don't be ashamed of getting older. And leaders, younger men, and everyone here today, you are to what? To older men, you are to appeal to them as fathers. In other words, when you relate to them, in order to give them counsel or encouragement, and it may be difficult because you may have to bring attention to something that they're doing that you don't believe is in accordance with the Word of God. When you approach them, make sure you do so with the respect they deserve as older men. They're to be treated differently. But as we see, younger men are not left out either. They're to be treated accordingly. Timothy, Paul says, you're not to speak to younger men in untactful ways. You're not to speak to them as if you were more superior to them. Timothy, just because you were my protege, Paul says, just because I taught you and you followed me, Just because you're well educated, you don't speak down on them. You're to speak to them as brother to brother. You speak to them on the same level, never ever above them. You see, what Paul is doing here already, he's telling Timothy that we're in the family in local church, right? You see how family is coming really out here? And we're to relate to one another as family members should. And as a footnote here, as a footnote, you see the importance of the family? What the Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul to Timothy and now to us is doing? The family in God's design is to be a place of protection, a place of nurture, a place where mum and dad are respected and honoured, a place where, where, where the children are brought up and, and to treat one another in a right and purposeful manner. 
the family of God's design is so vital, not only in the greater community and God's design in the world, but how much more important in the local church because this is where we are nurtured and how we treat one another. If, you don't, if you're not taught to treat your mum and dad well, I'll guarantee there'll be issues when it comes to treating elder men in the assembly well or women as well. This is vitally important. You mums and dads out there raising children, you've got to bring your kids up according to God's word because then they will be powerful examples in the assembly of the Lord's people in days to come. How you speak to your earthly father or an older man in the assembly, it will have a different approach about it than you would teach when you would approach your blood brother or younger man in the assembly. You see, the home is in the learning ground. There's a lot more familiarity with your brother than you would... I remember when... You see a lot of this in the old movies, you know, especially the British ones or even the early American ones. I know this is going to the extreme, but the children would come to the table and the dad would speak and they'd say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, sir. Wow, yeah, I would never expect my kids to, never have expected my kids to call me sir. But, but the idea is there. My dad, we, we, we were taught and we had to respect. There was kind of a fear and trembling, but at the same time there was a respect and an awe of our dad. Not only because he was a man of God, but because he was our father. But my brother, man alive, I would slap him on the back and I'd give him a boot if he needed it. We were very familiar. I would treat him as a brother. Now, I'm not going to treat any of my brothers here like that, by the way. But you can see there's a difference. There's a difference. Brother to brother, father to father. Both older and younger men need accountability and counsel in their walk with the Lord, absolutely. I need accountability. I need counsel. And more often than not that I need rebuke, I need encouraging just like you do. Young men also need to, but both need different approaches. The older men are to be shown dignity and respect and the younger, humility and love. But notice Paul doesn't stop here. He shifts from both older and younger, older and younger men to older and younger women in the church family. You see that? And so by doing this, he's not, by the way, contrasting how we're to treat or connect with older people versus younger people. By the way, there's too much of that in the church today. Too much of older's over here and younger here. We're all different, but clicky groups based on age can be very divisive, to say the least. What Paul does here is he shifts, the shift of gender is to highlight how, how men are to treat women differently. No gender equality in God's book, folks. And you love that? Men are men and women are women. And are to be treated differently. He first says, you appeal to older women as mothers. In other words, just because they are older women, do not neglect them in your pastoral care, Timothy. Don't give them the flick and say, oh, I'm not going to get involved. They, you know, pass on a pastor. No, no, no. They need to be held accountable as well. And their sanctification and their Christian life 
Yes, it may be that they need, just like the men do, to be reproved and challenged in their Christian walk. But when that is needed, Timothy, make sure you approach them as a son would his mother. Some of our older ladies are easy to forget in the church, aren't they? Ah, Sharon's not easy to forget. Smiling face always comes to you, but... Don't forget our older ladies in the church. But show them the utmost respect. If they're doing something that really annoys you or you don't believe that it's really right, with the utmost respect, go and have a word with them. Keep them accountable. They need to grow and they need, to, they need the sanctification of the Spirit of God in their lives just like every one of us do. But treat them with the utmost respect as you would your own mother. You know, Proverbs 23, verse 22 warns us about this. Do not despise your mother when she is old. That word despise carries a whole lot of connotation. Do not treat her indifferently. Do not treat her as nothing. Do not just give her the flick and say, oh, I've got more important people to worry about. Scripture commands us in Deuteronomy 5.16 Honour your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. So as a loving son is only to correct his own mother with humility and a deep searching of his own heart and a seeking of God's wisdom, as a loving son does that, so is Timothy or any single one of us to approach any older woman of the congregation the same way. What for? In order to encourage and counsel them. Respect them and give them honour where honour is due. Next in line is Timothy's way of approach to younger women. You see, the way Timothy was approached, these members was as if they were their what? Their own sisters, you see that? Yes, when necessary, they were to be counselled, just like the older man and the older woman and the younger men and the younger women. They were to be encouraged and rebuked for their own sanctification and accountability of Christ. Nothing changes here. They're part of the family. The spiritual well-being is to be looked out for. Absolutely it is. But the way we relate, the way we relate, the way we approach them in order to counsel and encourage is to value them highly and purely as we would our own sisters. You see that? This is particularly addressed to men here. In other words, the main idea is that they are to be treated in all purity. That's what Paul is telling Timothy. Timothy, as well as every man in the local assembly, is to be careful in his relationships with females, especially younger ladies. Timothy wasn't above any misconduct in that area, and Paul needed to tell him as a pastor. You see, folks, nothing damages a church or any leader like a man's improper conduct toward a woman or women in the church. Nothing. Now, this is, by the way, this is not about genuine courtship with marriage in view. <laughs> Matter of fact, on a couple of occasions I've commended where a young man has had eyes for a young lady, even in this church. And I've, I've loved it in the fact that, that the young men have come to me and said, uh, Jeff, look, um, I, I've got this issue. I said, okay, what? I'm really attracted towards such and such and I want to pursue a relationship with the idea of 
marriage, etc. What do you think about that? And I say, let's pray about it, brother. Blessings to you. Go for it. <laughs> I've really appreciated that. They've put their money where the mouth is. Can I use that expression? Recently, only a couple of weeks, few weeks back, my advice was sought from a fellow pastor about what he should do regarding a man in his church who was being over-familiar in a way that he embraced and greeted ladies in his church. Some of the ladies, he told me, were clearly embarrassed, and he was embarrassed for them. And so he asked me, what should I, what should I, what, what, what should I do? I told him, confront this older man. Give him the respect that he is due as being an older man, but let him know in uncertain terms, no uncertain terms, that his physicality with some of the women in the church was totally inappropriate and embarrassingly bad. Give it to him straight. Then I suggested, because he said, oh, yeah, well. Then I suggested his reaction to your counsel and to your rebuke that's given in love and respect to this older man, the reaction from his part will tell you where his heart is. In other words, if he blows up and mouths off, you'll know that he has got a major issue which we'll have to go further with. But ideally, the man will break down and humble himself and and repent. So men here today, we must look out for and protect our young sisters from our own misconduct and the misconduct of others. Younger women are to be treated differently. If necessary, yes, they are to be confronted with their sin and encouraged to godliness, but they are never, ever, ever to be led into sin. They are to be treated as beloved spiritual sisters. Because you know why? Because the purity is of uttermost value to us, right? Uttermost value to us. So in all this, Paul is telling Timothy and us here today, don't treat anyone, everyone the same because we are not. There is to be different strokes for different folks in the church. Recognize their stations in life and in the assembly and connect with them and relate to them accordingly. And that's the first lesson of this section. The local church is to be a place of accountability, but we don't treat everyone the same way. My second point and final one today is that we must show tangible, must show the tangible Christ-like love to those in need, but never shortcut personal family responsibilities. In this section from verses 3 to 8, we see that Paul highlights, or what he does highlight, was obviously a real problem that was not being addressed as it should in the Ephesus church, and that is the care of widows. Widows, right? Not widowers, widows. Now, it should be understood that God has always designed that women are to be special objects of care. Our egalitarian society wouldn't like that either. But God has designed women to be special objects of care. He designed women to enjoy male protection. Go right back to the garden, you can see that. Hey, Adam, okay, I've made you help me. 
You can see that right all the way through. He designed them to enjoy male protection and guidance and provision and, and all the way through Scripture, women are singled out by God for protection and care of her man, her husband, or prior marriage, her father. And we can even see in this in some notorious stories and counts in the Old Testament. I, I just thought of one as I was, I was coming this morning and I jotted the names down so I wouldn't get through. Remember Dinah? And Jacob, Dinah was the daughter of Jacob and Shechem was from one of the wild tribes around and he came and he raped her. But old Jacob didn't really stand up as he should have for her father and dealt with the matter. But Dinah's brothers, although wrongly and excessively, over the top, took their matters in their hands. You know why? Because they loved their sister and they protected their sister and they wanted their sister's purity and honour to be held intact. You know what they do? You read the story in Genesis, I think it's 38. You see, when a woman loses that protection, be it a husband or a father or her own brothers, be it through her husband's death or, her, or his deserting of her or, or divorced, what happens is the woman is left exposed to destitution, especially back in the day of Ephesus. And God takes great note of that plight and of any personal need a person might have. He even warns over and over in the Old Testament against any wrong treatment of widows. Here's one, just to state my point, in Deuteronomy 27 and 19. Cursed is he who distorts the justice due an alien, orphan and widows. The Lord also states his case on this in, in, in Psalm 146 verse 9. The Lord protects strangers, he supports the fatherless and the widows. The same compassion toward widows is seen in Jesus' ministry when he speaks of the poor widow who put all she had into the synagogue treasury. Remember that story? And another occasion when Jesus entered that city of Nain up in northern Israel there, uh, a funeral procession, him and his disciples were traveling along, and he came across this funeral procession. And he soon found out that the one who had passed away was the son of a widow woman. That moved our Lord. It really moved him. Because Jesus understood this desperate plight, this woman within her. She had no support. She had no protection. She, she had no one to provide for her anymore. Not only was her husband dead, but now her only son was dead. And so he felt compassion for her, Luke 7 tells us, and he raised her son to life. Little wonder the same need of widows, as it goes right through Scripture, little wonder the same need of widows was carried over into the first century church. You know what its first ministry was? You know what its first organized ministry was of the church in this Acts chapter 6? Care of widows. The care of widows. But as we understand this historical context and the desperation of widowhood to some measure, we understand what it was like back then. We cannot help but see how well off we are today. Now this is not to say that widows do not have needs today and they're not to be cared for. 
might I say, they really do need our care. They do really need our support. As a matter of fact, if we just look on the broader spectrum, desertion, domestic violence and divorce is so rampant in our culture today that women are left alone, fragile and distraught, far more probably than they were in Ephesus and gives us as a local church a challenge. So although this section that we have read describes how the church is to respond to widows in need, what I want to do is to apply to it in a broader way. Not only widows, but to all those in need in the church. And so our first instruction here on this section is honour those who are widows indeed. We see that in verse 3. The key to understanding is to see that they are obviously widows and also widows indeed. In other words, some widows have the resources to handle their dilemma. There are others, widows, who have nothing and are widows indeed. They are totally destitute. They have no one to provide for them, no one to care for them, no one to protect them. And so we are to honour these destitute widows just like we are to honour anyone who is in a destitute, dire situation, be it widow or not, in the church. The word honour, by the way, means to show respect or care. It has the idea to support, which usually involves financial support, and we're to care for them in whatever way we can to meet the needed hand that they are in, they have. There is one thing that we need to note here in our text is that when we see such a need arise in our church, in the church, be it widow or some other family crisis that might be going down, we must be careful, we must be discerning. You might say, well, why? Careful about what? Shouldn't we just hoe in? No. We must be careful not to preempt or circumvent the families of those in need whose priority should be to care for their own. We must be very careful not to do that. In other words, we are to see in verses 4 to 8 how the church is not to throw open its resources to whoever jumps up and says, I need help. We must be discerning. It must, be, must through its leaders, suss out who has got family to cater for this need and who is really destitute as a widow indeed. You know, whether it be siblings, whether it be children or grandchildren, the family of those in need must step up and take responsibility for their own. It is their first priority before the church can be expected to provide. That's a good word for us, by the way. We, as believers, are expected to care for our own. We also see that there's another qualification expected of a widow or a person in need. There must be those who are truly manifest the commitment to Jesus Christ in the life of the church. In other words, the church is not to provide for widows in need or, 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 to the, or destitute members if they are only half-hearted in the faith or if they're indifferent towards the things of God or, or, who's, or, or, or if, if their lives show little evidence of true commitment to the faith. We see that in verses 5 and 6. They're kind of ruled out. 
All this is important. Because Paul, even in his day, knew of families in the church who ducked and dived when it came to looking after their own. This is not new, by the way. Paul had them in his church. That's why uh, Timothy had them in his church, and that's why Paul had to address it. And, and sadly, in our day of Medicare and health cover and aged care homes, etc., the responsibility to care for our own family is further disguised. Well, Paul has a severe warning to those duckers and divers in verse 8. This is what he says. If anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I can't think of anything more disdaining than being described to be just like one who has denied the faith. Being seen and evaluated by the Lord as worse than one who is not a true disciple of Jesus Christ is shameful and it actually denies the love of Christ that has been given to us. Denied the faith here is not about a loss of salvation, by the way. It's all to do with our actions, not anything to do with our souls. In other words, such actions as refusing to provide for your own family as a priority is a denial of the principle of God's love. That is the very heart of the Christian faith. Remember Romans 5.5? 5, 5? The love of God has been poured out into our hearts. It's been distributed to us, been given to us. We have God's love within us. And not to look after our own, it's a denial of that's ever happened. Shame on such a person. You see, folks, there is no contradiction between faith and, act and conduct. And Paul takes very seriously the family responsibility in the care of the elderly parents and of those who are widowed in need. But he also takes very seriously the reality that our overzealousness in our care for the needy, be it widows or whoever, may well, may very well short-circuit their families whom God has designed to be their first port of call. See how important the family is in God's scheme of things? I remember, well I remember a lady coming to our church many years ago, probably before many of your time, not long after we first started this church, coming to our church and she cried poverty. She came to me actually. I was the person that she came to. She cried homelessness and poverty and all sorts of other issues. And, and, and talking with her, it was all stemmed back to a major fallout with her family resulting in, seemed to her, a lifelong dilemma. She was destitute, no doubt about that. She was an absolute physical wreck, no doubt about that. I now believe I unwisely, thinking that I would help with her problem, gave her a $50 bill. Which she was most grateful for too, by the way. I believe I acted unwisely because I now think that I probably prolonged her poverty-stricken days by fostering her pride which hindered her from going to her family and restoring a relationship with them. Because they're the ones who could help her most. 
It's a bit like the same principle. You, you give a starving man a fish and you'll feed him for a day, right? But you teach him how to fish and you'll feed him for a lifetime. Similar principle to that. So do we close our wallets and never enlarge our hearts towards those in need? No, absolutely no. We must enlarge our hearts. We must be compassionate and caring. We must be discerning, though, and never short-circuit personal family responsibilities in the church. I'm talking in the church here, in the church family. But you might say, is that not unloving? No, it's the opposite. It's wise. It's actually the most loving thing that we can do, ultimately. Because ultimately, it's putting back on the family what God designed the family to be and to do. Let's not short-circuit the family. It fosters the need of families to take care of their own. It encourages families to heal broken relationships and demonstrate love for their own as a first priority. This is what it encourages Tough love, you can call it that if you want, but that's what it is. Jesus demonstrated this family love for the needy in his most extreme hour. Even though enduring the agonies of a cross stretched out there, nails in his hands and his feet and crown of thorns on his head. He made arrangements, you know who for? He made arrangements for his widowed mother. John 19, 26, 27 tells us a story. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Even in the midst of the agonies of Calvary, where Jesus was dying for the sins of the world, and for anyone who's not a Christian and not born again, Jesus Christ died for you. And you need to repent and come to him in faith and trust and your sins will be dealt with and taken away and removed from you in God's sight forever. So even in the midst of this agony and, and this world-changing event, he spoke to two people while he was on the cross. He spoke to a dying thief and took care of his need. He said, today you shall be with me in paradise. And then he spoke to his own mother, a widow mother. The Lord made families for their protection, care and provision. And as a church, we cannot do for our families what we as individuals need to bear the responsibility of doing. May we learn this morning from these few verses to grow in Christ through the church and that as believers, we're not... We, we, we cannot and must not treat everyone the same. We must be approached differently because we are different ages and stages of life. We must do that as God instructed. What for? Just so that we can get on? No, no, for his glory. Ultimately for his glory. Pray that God will add a blessing uh, to his word this morning. Maybe we can stand. I want to close with this benediction. And then our service will be over. But if any of you wish to come and discuss some of these matters with me, I'll only be too glad to, to help you with that. This benediction is from 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 11 and 13. Let's bow our heads as we read from God's Word. Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ 
direct our way unto you. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end he may establish your heart unblameable in the holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And the people of God said, Amen.